When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Devil Pulls the Strings by J.W. Zarek Narrated by Kurt Bonham Chapter 21 Rizos' Plan Out of the visions and back at the branch office of the book's pocket dimension. All around me, never-ending bookshelves to the right and left. And then I look up. Never-ending bookshelves rise, get lost in the darkness. Those bookshelves weren't here before, were they? A wave of nausea swims in my gut, sweat coats my skin, my heart's heavy, my swallow stuck. The image of all these books crashing down on me plays in my head and sticks on rewind, replay, rewind, replay. Mac Muse. Sapphire and Rizzo stand behind me, talking as if I never left. I fight to suck in air. I tug at my t-shirt collar. My heart pounds. I know I can breathe, but I can't. Breathe. Damn it, Boone, breathe. Sapphire? Rizzo's? Can I drown in a sea of books? The thought overwhelms, compels, crushes me. Breathe, Boone. I clutch my throat. I gasp for air. (gasps) Sapphire's voice flashes in my mind. Count Boone. I gurgle gasp, take in patches of air. (gasps) One, two, three. The tight grip on my throat lessens. Four, five, six. The unbearable pressure in my throat and lungs dissipates. Seven, eight. Then the pressure evaporates. I swallow a breath of air. Relief. My breathing restored, my hot sweat grows cold. The weight of everything I've witnessed sinks in. Did you see how big the devil is? I ask. And did you know Mac is a fantastical terror, fill your pants, ginormous kraken? Did you know this is one crazy book? The questions tumble out like water from a hose. What are you talking about? Sapphire's voice ripples with confusion. The devil? Machiavelli's a kraken? Mr. Daniels? Rizzo's taps me and wrinkles his forehead. We heard three of Paganini's pieces play. However, you and Max stood in place with far-off looks. Did you travel somewhere? I stumble. He steadies me. I pat my chest, jeans, touch my face, arms, legs to make sure everything's where it should be, where it belongs. Yes, we traveled. And how come you two didn't go with Mac and me and see any of what we saw? Rizos places his hand on my shoulder in a comforting gesture. As I said before, 
The person who holds the book sees what's meant to be seen. You were holding the book. An uncontrollable wobble in my legs, tremendous drain throughout my limbs. My deep breath morphs into a yawn and a heavy hunger hits me. What the heck did I just experience? And why won't my legs stop shaking? And how is Mac able to travel with me? Mac purrs. Rizzo's hands me a glass of water and a bar of dark chocolate. Mac must have been rubbing against you as you touched the book. Please, eat and drink. It will help you reorient. I chomp a chunk of the chocolate bar, suck down a mouthful of water. Why can't I stand? And where'd that circular oak table and four chairs come from? My balance off kilter. My head spins. My nausea's back. I can't pass out. I force myself to focus on the table that wasn't there a second ago and slam the glass of water down to check that it's real. I swallow back a second wave of nausea. My knees buckle. I grab the table's edge with both hands just in time to steady myself. Rizzos pulls out a chair. Sit. A powerful reaction is what most experience when touching the book. Your reaction was delayed is all. No joke, detective. I collapse on the chair. What happened to your arms? And face and neck? Sapphire's voice carries comfort wrapped in concern. I look at my arms. A flash of pain rips, then fades. I hold up my arms, showing fresh scars. What kind of crazy magic is this? My head swims in a sea of distortions. A wave of dizziness triggers a flood of nausea. Meh, I've seen worse. Rizzo shrugs, lifts his pant leg to reveal similar scars. Deeper scars. He rolls down his pants leg. And the worst scars a person carries aren't always visible on the outside. His stare prods me, pokes me, provokes me. And it's not magic. I told you. It's ancient advanced Atlantean technology. Rizzos leans back in his chair, his take-it-or-leave-it expression splashed across his face. The words about ancient technology don't ease my mind. It was real. I was there. I sniff my shirt. My clothes smell like brimstone. I pinch my hair and smell my fingers. And my hair smells like the ocean. My thoughts jumble. Why would anyone volunteer to touch that book? I felt like I was on a bed of jello while brain surgery was being performed in the middle of an earthquake. A better way to wrap your mind around this is to think of the book like a radio dial, Rizzo says. It tunes into specific, significant moments across any distance, any dimension, any point in time and space. Some events have already happened. Some events are yet to happen. At least that's how Professor Stone explains his book. I stand, walk around the table and chairs. I take another bite of chocolate and swallow. There was the devil. He knew who I was and said I wouldn't stop or interfere with the ritual this time. I turn and walk around the table in the opposite direction. Only I've never met the devil before. How is any of this possible? 
I throw Rizos, and I got a ton of questions stare. Think 5D++, he says, as if that explains everything. Fifth dimensional is more immersive, interactive, engaging. Immersive? Interactive? Engaging? I glare at the burn marks. I bet this book could kill a person if it hasn't already. I slam the chocolate bar on the table. Rizos's gaze is unmoving. It's true we've lost individuals in the past. It happens, but we also haven't had anyone die in years. Rizos leans toward me, his stare ominous. His words linger like a piece of bad fish stuck at the back of your throat. I absorb the weight of every word. And you thought I would fare better than these dead individuals? My tone hinges between pissed off and I ought to kill you. You survived, and that's what counts. Rizzo sits on the edge of the table. Understand, we're all pawns in the middle of a game that's been going for centuries. The book gives us a glimmer of help and hope and advantage. However small, it sometimes makes all the difference in our fight. It didn't save or help Stone. The heat in my voice climbs a couple of degrees closer to anger. Rizos puts his fists on his hips. Just trust me when I say that the book evens the playing field. I apply pressure to my temples with my fingers. Tell me what the Lavender and Roses Society is exactly. Rizos chuckles, his shoulders, chest, and his body relaxes. The truth is unbelievable and beyond most folks' comprehension. On the surface, the public sees and knows the lighter, more charitable side of any organization. And what does that mean about the Lavender and Roses Society? I ask, determined to get more. He removes his glasses and wipes them, then repositions them on his face. All Lavender and Roses Society members are guardians entrusted to protect antiquities and sacred, magical, mystical relics, ruins, and objects from falling into the wrong hands. Be those the hands of misguided mortals, otherworldly beings, or hordes of demons. I return to my seat. You mentioned Sinti working with a group, the dragons and nymphs? I pick up the bar of chocolate, take another bite needing strength for understanding these bizarre societies. His face is expressionless. The unholy ancient order of dragons and nymphs are a foul group that has been around since forever and a day. Uh-huh. Keep going. I lean closer, absorbing every word. Members of the unholy ancient order of dragons and nymphs are sworn enemies of the Lavender and Roses Society. They usurp and exploit all things holy and unholy, allowing them to bring in all manner of demons and otherworldly beings of myth, lore, legend, dimension, or phenomenon here, onto our plane of existence and reality. Rizos's tone is hard and aggravated. And what does the Lavender and Roses Society do about the dragons and nymphs? I ask. Sapphire sits in a chair beside me and touches my arm. Professor Stone? 
told me the Lavender and Roses Society members focus and drive are to keep precious items out of the hands of others with naughty intentions. She leans back and surveys the room. The most powerful artifacts are hidden away in pocket dimensions, here in their headquarters and down below in their caverns and tunnels. Stone was right to invite you to join the society, Miss Anju. Rizzo's wears a half-smile that disappears quick. But what does all of this have to do with Saturday? I take a quick sip of water. Know this, Rizzo says. Baba Yaga wakes, and Sinti and others shall attempt to summon the devil with or without the music. If Sinti doesn't have the music, he'll summon the devil by sacrificing one or more innocent souls instead. And that innocent could be you, Sapphire, or your band, or someone in the audience. Sinti, Sinti, Sinti! The heat in my voice travels into my neck and cheeks. It always comes back to this Sinti. I get it. We've got to stop him. Rizos places both palms on the table, leans closer. Professor Stone mentioned a fight between Sinti and Baba Yaga. Sinti? Values his own skin and survival above all else. Rizzo says this like everyone should know. He knows he can't hide, outrun, or destroy Baba Yaga because she's an immortal supernatural being who always comes back. I rub my forehead. What does this have to do with the Lavender and Roses Society in this pocket dimension? Professor Stone surmised that Baba Yaga fell into a pocket dimension, probably when Sinti used a potion, Rizzo says. Now, Sinti wants to summon the devil and lock Baba Yaga in that pocket dimension forever. His words make my head throb. I don't understand. Professor Stone and I believe this action allows Sinti to survive forever, Rizzo says. And if we play our parts on Saturday to stop Sinti, how does that work? Sapphire asks. Professor Stone's tracked pocket dimensions for centuries, Rizzo says. He's figured out how they cycle through specific locations at certain times, days, months, and years. And this pocket dimension opens under New York City Saturday night. But you said it's a collapsing pocket dimension. I'm surprised that I remember this fact. Yes. Professor Stone believes as Sinti completes the ritual, this pocket dimension will swallow all of New York City, Rizzo says. The wheels in my head creak and turn. Can't we just trick Sinti and Baba Yaga into the same pocket dimension that's ready to collapse? Sapphire stands and stares into my eyes. You said you saw Paganini's mother talk to the devil. Did she say or do anything before he appealed? I shift in my chair and touch my lower lip, pulling out the visions. It looked like she was performing some kind of ceremony. Rizzo springs his fingertips together, bobs his head in agreement. That sounds correct, Mr. Daniels, but how exactly did she do this? She played the violin. Frustration tints my words. And before she played? She held up a piece of parchment, and I heard music. And did she hold up only one piece of music? 
No, she held three sheets. And did she do anything with this parchment? She poured some bluish-green liquid over them. And then what happened? The parchment pieces merged together, and the song changed. Observant, Mr. Daniels. What about the time? Was it day or night? I stare upward, then return my attention to Rizzo's. It was dark, and the moon was high, and the moon was blue. So, what you're saying... I can tell Rizzo's is ready to regurgitate my words and more. To summon the devil, you have to pour liquid on three different compositions of Paganini's sheep music that changes the music that's played in the blue moonlight. Is this correct? Is that all? Another wave of dizziness ripples. I wipe the cold sweat on my forehead and neck. I break off two pieces of chocolate, let them sit in my open palm. This chocolate helps? Yes, it helps, Rizzo says. I stand, inhale. I think back to all parts of the vision. I walk around the table, stop and rest my hands on the back of an empty chair. I eat another piece of chocolate, chew, and swallow. The song she played was uber soulful and somber. Like a piece of her soul was infused into the music? His tone leads me to explain. Yes. Rizzo scratches his chin. I wonder, Mr. Daniels, Ms. Anjou, are there any upcoming opportunities to play music in the moonlight? I'm to play Paganini's music after the village idiots finish their concert. Sapphire's tone is excited. Rizzos's facial expression shouts, Now you're getting it. And his attention turns on me. Ms. Anju shall play a piece called Diabolus in Musica Sonata, The Devil's Sonata. I toss back his stare. And so? Sapphire paces around the table. I once overheard Wigambi and Stone mention the sonata in an argument. Could Paganini's music grant a wish without selling or forfeiting your soul? Why would anyone want to forfeit their soul? I ask. Usual assorted reasons, Rizzo says. Win the lottery, destroy New York City, save New York City. Or in Sinti's case, stop Baba Yaga, a supernatural being from unleashing her wrath on Sinti for making her sleep hundreds of years. Rizzos's how's that for a start grin gives me nothing to smile about. Why not just destroy one or all of the sheet music compositions, I ask. Then the devil can't be summoned, problem solved. Rizzos clicks his teeth. Sadly, music or no music, no one can stop Baba Yaga from waking Saturday night. And when she does, she'll take her revenge on Sinti even if it means destroying New York City to get him. So you want Sapphire to summon the devil to stop Baba Yaga? I look at him like the train for Crazy Town has left the station, but is turning back to pick him up. But why not give Sinti to Baba Yaga? Or arrest him or something? You're the police. Do you know what Sinti looks like? Rizos asks. I saw Sinti at the age of 10, 12, maybe 14.
I remembered my vision on the bus. My breath catches sharp in my throat. I turn my focus on Sapphire. How old are you? Are you as old as Stone? Rude to ask a lady her age, Sapphire says, totally avoiding answering. In my vision, I say. Someone, the spitting image of you, but younger, called herself Melazine. And she had two sisters, Melior and Palestine. I'm 24, and I recognize those names as ancestors long dead. Sapphire's stare is full of unspoken questions. How did you see Cynthia's a preteen? Rizos presses. I rub the back of my neck. I had a dream about Paganini and Cinti. I couldn't make any sense of it back then. But what was clear was that Cinti hates Paganini. You're full of surprises, Rizzo says. Why go to all the trouble to use Paganini's music? Why not just use the book to play the hidden song and summon the devil? The book doesn't work like that. It can take you to the past or future. But whoever does the summoning has to perform the actual ceremony involving Paganini's music, Rizos explains. Okay, so why should Sapphire play? The back and forth questions make my head ache. Because Paganini was the best violinist when he walked the earth. Sapphire's tone is full of admiration. He also had a sick sense of humor. Only the person able to play the instrument best may be worthy enough to play the piece. I breathe in and push air out to rid myself of any remaining dizziness. We're summoning the devil to use the wish so Paganini's music may never be used this way again and Baba Yaga doesn't destroy New York City. A twinge in my gut fires. I scan for an exit. The urge to go find and face the Wendigo is welcomed over this conversation. And to make all of this happen, we require an unknown bluish-green glowing liquid we don't have to pour over missing sheet music we also don't have, and we don't know where it is? Rizos' mouth breaks into an I-got-the-last-donut grin. Now you're getting it. But of course, you can always leave anytime you want, Mr. Daniels. I look at him with my best, you can't get rid of me, stare. Help me understand everything a little better. Baba Yaga has to be stopped by who? Ambrosish Sinti. Sapphire exhales loud. He's a cursed, dark, twisted immortal, along with his unholy ancient order of dragons and nymphs. Rizos's voice is emphatic and sincere. Cinti and this group are using the Renfair concert and annual charity event on Saturday as a cover? I pace the room, putting all the pieces of this weird puzzle together. Cinti is unbelievably twisted. He has backup plans on top of backup plans for backup plans as a backup. Sapphire's facial expression reeks futile frustration. And what's the worst thing that could happen? I ask, not understanding all the ramifications through time and space. Baba Yaga takes her wrath out on New York City. Sapphire touches my arm, affirming her words. And we have to prevent this by any means possible, Rizzo says. I let his words digest, take another bite of chocolate.
and place the chocolate bar on the table. Thud! The book lands on the table inches from the chocolate bar. Pip, stop messing around. Rizos's voice notches up to firm. I look up. Nothing but thousands and thousands of books. I turn to Rizos. Who's Pip? Scatter, scrape, scrape. Thud, thud, thud. Ah. A strange-sounding voice moans. Pip, Rizzo says, and the word comes out like a growl. Ah. Another soft moan. Then, a small blue and orange shape comes into view, falling, plummeting. A hairy round thing crashes on my open palm. What the heck? I fight the urge to toss the three-inch ball of hair because I'm curious about the oddest tickle sensation. What is that? Sapphire stares at the fur ball. Pip, stop messing around. Rizos reaches over to grab Pip, but he rolls over and displays rows of razor-sharp teeth and roars. Arms and legs pop out of the soft and sticky blue hairball named Pip. Pip transforms into a monkey-esque form and sits up. Sharp claws, golden eyes, and an orange face. He screams. I match his pitch and scream back. Pip's hair balloons out four to five inches wide. His mouth widens. He rolls over to bite me but then he sees chocolate on the table. His inflated body morphs back down into his original three-inch size. He snarls, snatches the chocolate, and disappears up the bookcase into darkness. Rizos opens his mouth to speak, stops, pats himself down. Pip, give me back my watch. Pip is a very naughty domovoy in big trouble if he doesn't return my watch. That's a domovoy? I pull out and clutch the candies I picked up at Velma's desk. Velma says these will save us from domovoy. I tear open the wrapper and eat one. Mmm, this is good. I chew, swallow. (laughs) A low, muffled laugh sounds from the darkness. I catch movement. Multiple blue and orange shapes. I count six. All half a foot or so tall, blue-haired, orange-skinned, monkey-esque creatures. They're creeping on the floor in bookshelves. Domovoy Auril? Sapphire stands taller, more attentive now that there are more Domovoy. Yes. Domovoy are the guardians and caretakers at the Lavender and Roses Society, Rizzo says. They mostly keep to the libraries, caverns, and tunnels. Guardians? They can't be more than five to eight inches tall. Not that intimidating. I unwrap and eat another candy just in case. Lavender and Rose Domovoy are similar to brownies and house elves, Rizzo says. But they aren't social. Pip's an odd one. He is the runt of his clan, and not treated kindly by other Domovoy. Should I be scared of these Domovoy? I ask. They don't look that scary, 
Sapphire crosses her arms. Domovoy are shapeshifters, Rizzo says, and can grow in size. Imagine them our size or bigger, and with three rows of razor-sharp teeth and nasty claws. Did you say bigger? My swallow gets stuck. Do you know the difference between Domovoy and Piranha? Rizzo's presses. Piranha leave bones. Sapphire's voice goes solemn. I thought Professor Stone was kidding when he told me about the Domovoy. I stare at the docile Domovoy. I know it's a dark thought, but why not just trick Cynthia into taking something from the caverns and tunnels, but forget to mention these fierce Domovoy? We're not letting Cynthia into the Lavender and Roses Society. That's out of the question. Rizzo stares like I've lost my mind. Back to Saturday. I've arranged with Reverend Dave at Trinity Church for you to collect 24 caprices on loan from the Vatican. I wave my hands. Nuh-uh. Why not just have your own people do this? Rizzo stiffens. Over the years, just like Professor Stone, most of our members have been killed off. Velma, Mac, and I are all who remain at the New York branch office. And communication with our other branch offices has gone dark. So there's no one else to stop Cinti, I say. No one else, he says, and hands me a cell phone. I have to follow up on a witness that came forward who might be able to ID one of Cinti's men who attacked you. He points to the pound sign on the phone. Press redial when you need to get a hold of me quick. He grips my arm. You being here isn't a coincidence, you know. Stone knew about you years ago, but wasn't sure if you'd arrive in time. I'm glad you did. Coming up next in The Devil Pulls the Strings by J.W. Zarek. Chapter 22 Trinity Church